0: Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our
1: must-read daily newsletter. This week on Highways Voices, let's do some modelling.
0: Other than building our way out of the problem, what's the best way to optimise what we already have? You know, sweating the assets and getting more
1: no you don't have to have the mental image of Adrian Tatum or me on a catwalk nor sitting doing some Lego it's transport modeling the name of the game this week it's a Highways Voices supermodel edition Highways Voices the podcast from HighwaysNews.com. so this is Paul Hutton here with the latest Highways Voices from Highways News thanks for joining us again and we learn all about efficient planning and transport management today my co-owner here Here at Highways News, Adrian Tatum joins me as always. And Adrian, a really interesting reaction to last week's programme with Peter Hitchens. Yes,
2: a controversial figure, but trenchant and forthright. He really got his point across. And a lot of different reaction on Twitter, among them a leading supplier to local authorities and a local authority big, we both saying that the issue of safety of these scooters is something we need to take more seriously. I guess the thing that I'm learning is that ones that have been more successful have been true collaboration between local authority, a provider, and of course, the people that are managing the road network to ensure that, that the trials go smoothly and people understand how to use them. And I guess, like anything, and things that we talked about often on Highways News, it's all about communication.
1: And I think, you know, a part of the issue is to teach people that are using them, they might know where they're going and that they know what they're doing and they've spotted people, but the pedestrians and i saw today i was in south essex and saw somebody on an e-scooter weave around a lady pushing a buggy she looked visibly startled by it uh now the guy on the e-scooter probably knew exactly that he wasn't going to hit her and he knew where he was going but but it's about being a bit more courteous to people and i think that's part of the user education on these and of course we talk a lot about uh education of people being very important and i think we need to get that in really early and learn from maybe what we call the smart motorways issue where we're now trying to educate people several years after they've been introduced if we're going to introduce them get the education in straight
2: away so elsewhere else this we looking at the news over 15 million to be set aside for Barnes's road network which is more than they had last year and another story from, from last week, Grant Shapp's Transport Secretary asking the office of and Road to confirm the evidence base for relative safety of smart motorways. That comes off of the back of his speech to the House of Commons on the same day the Highways England launches their stock tape report, an update on that. So they've said that smart motorways are safe in most ways or safer than conventional ones but not in every way
1: the other story we, we spotted that was about uh, smart motorways was a guy who's lost a court battle and has been ordered to pay nearly a thousand quid in fines and costs after uh, uh, trying to overturn a fixed penalty notice for driving under a red x on the m25 in 2018 all i can say on that story is good other stories around a coroner has called for stricter air quality laws following an inquest into the role of air pollution had in the death of a nine-year-old girl i think that's 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 a really uh, interesting and important story for transport and picking up on that uh, I noticed some interesting comments from Bosch asking the European Commission to be less prescriptive when it comes to the environment saying they should be given goals and let engineers get on with it and not be too prescriptive. Well. Uh, Elsewhere, A new standalone red light camera has caught my eye. It's been launched by our friends at Unoptic. Often there are moans and groans from engineers about so much wiring and things that can go wrong and need maintaining. This basically sits on existing street furniture and uses the lights themselves to tell the uh, equipment when the light has gone red and therefore when to trigger any enforcement. So there's no need to wire into the box or have loops on the road. I think it's an example of the industry listening to its customers Customers, which is always good. You'll find all those stories and all the stories you need to know about on our website, highways-news.com every day. Remember to sign up to our daily newsletter into your inbox every lunchtime. It's your Highways News midday briefing. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Remember a couple of weeks ago on Highways Voices when we were talking about data, Darren Capes of the Department for Transport and the Transport Technology Forum said this.
0: We are seeing masses of data that we, we never used to see, and we're seeing new sources of data. And, of course, that's great. And the, and the other thing we're seeing in parallel to that is new ways of modelling. We're seeing increasingly... Uh, elaborate models. We're seeing increasingly powerful computing capabilities that allow us to run models, much more complex models. And I think cities should be starting to invest more in real-time modelling, in bringing the power of modelling, bringing their transport planning services together with their network management services, working with companies, uh, traditional players and new entrants into the market that can model things in real time. Because I think really now is the time to start using this data to try and assess how this affects our city.
1: So I thought we'd dig a little deeper into transport modelling and find out a bit more about it because to many people it's still seen as a bit of a dark art. I studied bits of very basic modelling during the final year of my degree so while I can't suggest I would have a clue where to start when it comes to modelling, remember I was such a good mathematician I went on to be a radio journalist, I do find it fascinating. Gav Jackman is Managing Director of Ameson here in the UK so as good a man as any to explain to us transport modelling so joins me now as this week's highways voice, welcome along, Gav.
0: Many thanks, Paul. Happy to uh, happy to join you today.
1: And let's just start with transport modelling in a nutshell. What is it, and how do you do it?
0: So basically, it's a it's a it's a digital twin of the network of the road network. It is the road geometry. It is the road signals, the roundabouts. It is um, everything that affects uh, how you drive across a network is represented in a digital world. And then obviously we have effectively the demand or the flow of vehicles, uh, bicycles, pedestrians across that network. That, that effectively is a model. It's, uh, it's, it's calibrated and validated, so it represents real world conditions. And traditionally, there's three types of models that we have. The static models that are used for longer-term investment decisions and business cases. Imagine the dual carriageway, the new road, the what happens if we place 1,500 houses at location X. How do those people then transgress across the network, the region, the area, the city? And traditionally, those models looking at 30-year outlook. What is the business case for actually investing in the road network as such? Traditionally, those models are less detailed. They don't have as much detail about the individual junction, the precise signal timings or the precise road lane markings. Then we have more dynamic models, and they're much generally smaller in focus. They're perhaps just the corridor or key junctions around the scheme. And it's really they're used for refining the level of operation of a scheme. So actually that practicality of those 1500 houses, how is that going to work when we have all those cars vehicles queuing at a a junction. So they're used very much to refine the details of the scheme and the precise lane markings and signal timings etc. And then we have a kind of a new paradigm which is the live models and those are really used for operation decision support and that's really kind of you know the cutting edge of where we are right
1: now. I'm interested in that one Gav because as you know I got into this industry through traffic information and obviously in the 20 years since I got into it, the quality of live data has just increased exponentially. So what sort of data are you plugging into this live model? And then what are you doing with the data once you've got it?
0: So I I guess there's, you know, whilst I've talked about the three different versions, they all actually combine in a real live prediction anyway. We use that the overarching demand and flows of the network, traditionally the origin destination matrix that people will refer to. We use that to understand the movements across a city or a region. We then use the detail of the dynamic models to understand actually how those have been flowed. But then we're using that in a live environment, So we're taking that, if you like, that offline environment and putting it into the cloud. We're then configuring it so that we're taking historic data in that model, but then we're fusing it together with real live data. And that live data can come from a multitude of sources. So Highways England's National Traffic Information Service, or NIS, we take information from that. We can take information from traffic counts, uh, traffic counters, ATCs. We can take data from the UTMC, so uh, again, that could be a scoot, it could be a mover, it could be a whole manner of real-time information flow. Then take that data and we use that to adjust our patterns and our flows and our real-time model to bring a a view of the network, which is historic and current, which enables us to then predict what's going to happen in the next hour. So whilst we have that historic flow, which will be over the 24-hour period, we then take that real-life data and then just adjust that, so that uh, with, with that historic flow.
1: This is great, because what you're basically saying is you can take what's happening now, predict what's going to happen in the next hour. If there are traffic jams that are going to build up, you can actually then work out mitigation strategies to minimize the buildup. So in effect, you're stopping traffic jams from happening.
0: Definitely, yes. I mean, that's the key part. You know, there's, We have three views of that real-life situation. The monitoring, the prediction, and then the comparison. So, so the what-ifs questions. What if we invoke traffic management strategy A um, versus a do-nothing? Does that improve that traffic based on our prediction of what's going to happen in the next hour, especially around an incident? Or maybe it's not just one traffic management strategy, maybe it's three, four. So comparing those different traffic management strategies against the do nothing and then recommending to the traffic officers which ones are the best to invoke, that's that's really where it becomes vitally important in today's network. We know that the the existing you know asphalt, tarmac, concrete roads that we have are generally at capacity. So um, other than building our way out of the problem, what's the best way to optimize what we already have? You know, sweating the assets and getting more. So if we can if we can improve the the flow across our network by 2 3 4% and if we can reduce the delay when there's an incident by putting in diversion strategies by opening up other roads by tweaking the the the, the traffic management response plans then that's going to be much better for those people commuting across those networks and that's really what it's all about it's about mitigation
1: so you're improving traffic flow therefore you're reducing congestion therefore you are improving air quality but while I was preparing for this chat I looked at a project that you did in Oxfordshire where you actually didn't just sort of like put traffic information in and think well that's going to have Uh, value in improving air quality by reducing emissions because there are fewer traffic jams, you're actually taking into account air quality monitoring itself and plugging that into the model. Yes, it's been a really interesting project to be
0: honest. We've got our model, we have a a tailpipe emissions estimate module within our software, and that enabled us to give a prediction of what would happen as far as emissions goes across the network. You've got to bear in mind, this is not just about one junction. This is a much more holistic view across the network. So understanding that there's an issue at at, a location, a geographical location, what we've then done is we've then taken those emissions, we've fed those into an external dispersion model um, for our partners EarthSense. They've then effectively combined that with ground truth roadside sensors They've combined it with um, diffusion tubes that are giving us a, a, a locality picture. They combine it with topographical weather information, and they basically provide an air quality model that then gives us a real understanding of what effectively is happening across the network with air quality, but in relationship to the road network. And so once we have that, what we've then done is we've then compared Three or four different strategies against to do nothing. And we've understood if we do a response plan A, we can improve the air quality. And so that's all in a modeled environment. The last part of that is then to invoke those strategies. In the traffic management system and then once those are invoked we do that end-to-end testing but that modeling gave us some real good clarity one the visualization of being able to see the impact of road traffic into the air quality and and how that the emissions then disperse across the network that was one visualization output that we created within this software and so that's really key but then being able to act on that you know so once you've got that information what are you going to do with it you know these traffic management strategies didn't exist So we had to evaluate, create in an offline world, which we used exactly the same technology for. And then once we then got narrowed those down into ones that really do make a difference, we then loaded those up into the system and then we then played those and evaluated those in real time. So out of the days that we evaluated towards the end of the project, and the system is still ongoing and we're monitoring right now, but towards the end of the evaluation of the project, what we found out was that 80% of the time, Air quality was exceeding legal thresholds at a particular location that was fundamental in the, in the AQMA in Oxfordshire. And in 65% of those days, when we exceeded the air quality or we were close to exceeding the air quality, we found that actually a strategy that wasn't sitting there on the road at that time in the traffic management system, one of our alternative response plans, 65% of that time, we could actually provide a better one. And then out of those 65%, we actually reduced emissions by 5%. So this is really bro- groundbreaking stuff and has caused some really interesting conversations with our, about what we can now do with this going
1: forward. Yeah, because I guess that you've got local authorities across the country that are under pressure over air quality and they're looking at clean air zones, low emission zones, fining people, charging people to enter certain areas and kind of the stick approach. Well, this isn't even the carrot and stick approach because all of this could actually improve air quality without really motorists even noticing it's happening.
0: Yes, it's a really interesting subject. And it's a slightly, you know, it's slightly bigger than just what we've been doing with our real time predictions, the stick approach. I think is perhaps one of the most valuable tools that we have now right to do some hard and fast action. But actually perhaps it's a short term action because, you know, 10 years time we'll have much more electric vehicles using the road. Technology will have moved on. Um, so is that investment in clear area zones and the enforcement that goes around that necessary? Of course it is because we need to do something now and we need to act now in parallel, though, we have this level of prediction that we can do which actually can target specific areas. Because it is only specific areas that we're really exceeding the legal limits. So actually, I think there's a combination of two. But just to fast forward another 10 years, we can use the data that those enforcement systems to enhance the data that we've got in our models, both our real time ones and our offline ones. So I I see the world coming together in this joined up digitization movement that's happening. I think it's really exciting times for the modeling community.
1: And you mentioned data and, you know, for years uh, when in the days we used to be able to go to events and actually sit in a room and listen to people. And in the last year when it's tended to be on Zoom or Teams webinars, you hear people say data is the new oil. But it always struck me that if I struck oil in my back garden, I wouldn't have a clue what to do with it. I'd just have this sticky black mess and actually it would be an inconvenience and I'd kind of just hope to ignore it. You need expertise to turn oil into petrol, for example. And so you need expertise to turn data into knowledge and information. So I guess you're the oil refiner for data.
0: I, I love that analogy. That's, that's fantastic. Um, I, I guess we can be without data, our models aren't models. So, so, you know, we are a, a, a big consumer of data and it goes back to, you know, that initial statement. Yes. You know, that data is used for that long-term 30 year investment decision for that planning, for the, you know, the reality of those implications on the network, but now it can be used in operational as well. And I think that's the important part, you know, oil or, or the new oil, the new data, you know has a really important part um, and it's it's really through the work that we're doing we can show actually you know the benefits of, of, of investing and maintaining those data sources and I would also say opening up that's the important part. I think there is the you know the other part there it's really important is is that we shouldn't be thinking that we need to have that data just for signalization or you know signal control or just for counting that study on that one scheme, we need to be thinking about it as a whole life. It really is a digitisation movement that we need to go through right now.
1: And just to finish off, Gav, you speak to a lot of local authority people, lots of local authority uh, transport and highways managers, listen to highways voices, read highways news. In your experience, are local authorities maximising the value of the data that they have or do they potentially not realise just what a, I was going to say gold mine to really mix our metaphors, but um, an, let's say an, an oil field that they're actually sitting on?
0: So the important part about data collection is, is that it's often collected for a purpose. So may that be traffic control or it may well be journey time. Um, But actually, what happens with that data once it's collected so often because of the capacity and the the storage that's required, it's erased after a, a three month period. But actually, historical data is really valuable for setting up these type of systems. So we're looking at six months' worth of data. And obviously, once the system goes live, we can then collect and learn from that. And that's what our machine learning AI algorithms within our software is doing. It's learning the patterns and adjusting as we go forward. But it's really important to think about the structure and how you collect that data, where you maintain that data, the, the aggregation of that data. Is it every five minutes, 15 minutes, or just an hour? Um, All those kind of characteristics are really important to think about as you go along this in the design of your systems and your digitization conversations. I think authorities are really aware of of the use of the data or the potential for the data. But I also think that due to perhaps the 20 odd years of working experience and the way, way things have been assembled in the local authority environment it's not such an easy thing to know what you're doing and then actually do something with it traffic signal maintenance contracts are there to maintain the signals and the communications but that doesn't involve the data that they're actually collecting the utMC the common database that's the repository but again it's repository for a purpose. This is a slightly awkward and difficult conversation because the view of what is possible needs to have a joined up approach all the way through. So many of the, the funding streams that central and local government have don't necessarily approach that digitisation conversation and discussion and action that is really required by the authorities to maximise the benefit of the data transforming cities initiative from dft i think is definitely getting along the right lines i think we need more of that the adept labs i think is really focused on assets rather than what are we going to do when we've got this information there needs to be a gear change and acceleration in the way we do this the data being oil is perhaps more valuable than just the
1: collection. I mentioned that people maybe see transport modelling as a bit of a dark art. Well, you've shed a bit of light on it in the last few minutes, Gav. Thanks very much for joining us. That's Gav Jackman, who's Managing Director of Aimson in the UK. Gav, thanks for being our Highways Voice this week. Thank you. Highways Voices the podcast from highwaysnews.com highwaysnews.com So now we know a bit more about modeling I think a product that really could and should be used more in the industry
2: Adrian anything that helps transport planners highway engineers anyone that's involved with maintaining delivering and running the network is is a good thing. And the wider social responsibility that this industry has in terms of, you know, making better places to live and work.
1: And talking of things that we need to tip our hat to, because they're great, it is time for... Adrian's Accolade. And this week, Adrian, where's your accolade going?
2: Well, it's a bit different this week's one, but this week I'm going to give my accolade to Ertico ITS Europe. They've announced that they're pressing ahead with plans for a physical event in 2021. The ITS World Congress in Hamburg, they're confident by then that vaccination and immunity will mean that people will have more confidence to travel to events. But it is October, and the jury's still out on whether people will have enough confidence then to, A, mix with thousands of other people, and B, travel. But the fact that they're setting the stall out there, they've put all the safety procedures in place to get, get back to normality at these events. If you don't want to go, you don't have to. But at the end of the day, they've uh, someone's got to start somewhere, and... Um, We've seen a number of events get cancelled and then uh, restart again, then get cancelled again. So good on Ertico for for committing to it.
1: Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, I quite agree i never thought i'd miss conventions you know the airports the planes the identical corporate hotels the exhibition centers that all feel the same and you have to try and remember which city you're in but i really really do and so i'm really excited about getting back to hamburg i'll have been double jabbed by then i it's going to take an awful lot to convince me it's not a good idea to go to the world congress and i think there are plenty of people in my camp if you don't want to go you don't have to but if you do want to go I think you should be able to and good on Ertico for it. So well done for giving them Adrian's accolade this week. I can't wait to be there. We're going to bring you Highways Voices on the road from Hamburg. As I say, wild horses will have to stop me from making it to Hamburg this October. Um, That's it for this week's Highways Voices. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks to Gav Jackman for teaching us a bit more about modelling. We'll be back with more talk from the industry next Wednesday. We'll chat then.
0: Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry.